Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off-limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point. on the podcast you're hanging out with your host johnny b and on today's show we talking uh ufc mma we have farah Anoun on the show farah how you doing today i'm doing good thank you how are you i'm doing well did i uh butcher your last name a little bit <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, how that. do you say it? uh it's hanun but you can go hanun hanun uh i should have known i should have known um that's uh egyptian uh, actually, Palestinian origin, my last name. Palestinian origin. Okay. Where are you based right now? I live in Egypt, uh, but I'm um, uh, uh, half Palestinian, half Moroccan, but live in Egypt. Oh, wow. How'd you, uh, how'd you make your way out there? Who's out there? Oh, and, and no, and, uh, I've, I'm born and raised in Egypt, so I've been here pretty much my whole life. How's the COVID out there in, in Egypt? Uh, it's okay. Uh, I think things have, like... I don't even know numbers-wise if things have calmed down a little bit, but people are trying to get back to normal life. We're kind of seeing that everywhere. So businesses are operating again. Uh, but I don't, numbers-wise, they just don't publicly say much. Like they used to, I never even knew if the numbers were accurate or not, but uh, in comparison maybe to the US and stuff, the numbers weren't as high or Europe in the beginning. Uh, but they were still a little high. Uh, just now, I don't know how accurate they really are. And I just feel like people are at a point where, they stop being too careful, uh, but at the same time, because they like businesses just need to get back up and running. You know what I mean. So I feel like people are at a point where maybe they're trying to be a little bit cautious, but at the same time, a lot of people are just kind of living their lives and leaving it up to you of how careful you want to be. Right, right. In a way, they're saying it's your life, so do as you wish with it. Um, but yeah, so you were talking about uh, COVID out there, and you know, just uh, everybody's trying to get back into their life. I'm out here in New York, so it's. You know, we're trying to get back slowly as well, but you know, I mean, the fear everywhere is as soon as you get released to go back into doing normal things, the numbers are going to spike. Exactly. You know, so, that's, that's the issue. Right. Number goes up. Everybody get reinfected again, and then I mean, because it's going on in Texas right now, where they have to actually shut down again, uh, just because the numbers went up and it's kind of getting crazy out there. So everybody's a little worried, but hopefully, uh, this vaccination they're talking about can actually be the real deal. Yeah, I hope so. Um said by the end of the year or something, right? Right, right. Um, so how'd you get into covering um, MMA? Uh, so basically, I, my brother kind of got me into it. He got me into MMA uh, probably around like 2009 or maybe 2008, something like that. So I, used, I was like watching it. I actually play basketball and I grew up watching basketball. Like that was my sport. I want to be like a pro ball okay. player. So a lot of my attention oh, wow. was focused on basketball for the longest time. But for some reason... Um, like I kind of knew that I wasn't going to when I wasn't going to become a pro athlete that I wanted to do something related to sports so I was right. thinking that I was going to cover basketball then I don't know why I made like a last second switch because I felt like there were a lot of people that covered basketball and um, right. not enough at covering MMA and I felt like I was starting to understand the sport and starting to appreciate the kind of work the athletes put in especially that I used to watch and play soccer as well as a kid so I watched a lot of sports and I kind of um got to see how these athletes train and there was something about MMA I felt like uh, these guys don't get enough exposure maybe I could make a difference in this space uh, so I kind of made a last second switch to, to cover MMA yeah I mean I think I agree with uh, what you just said uh, uh, too with the uh, coverage of the uh, MMA fighters there's, there's definitely not 
uh, not enough uh, coverage for the guys. You know, you only get the coverage when you win, or when you fight, or when something bad happened. But, but then again, this sport they only fight three times a year, so it's kind of hard to get a lot of attention, right? I mean, most of these guys fight twice a year. Some fight maybe three times a year. Meanwhile, you have the basketball player and all the other guys that are doing. You know, we've seen them seven months uh, out of the year on TV, right? Exactly. And like basketball, you have one bad game. You can turn it around and make everybody forget about it real quick. Unless maybe you're LeBron James and they want to hate on you and remember all the only remember the bad stuff. But like in general basketball, you have one bad shooting night. Like if Curry goes uh, one for nine from the three point line, like two days later, he can go make it up by by draining like seven threes in the first quarter or something. And everyone will forget about it with fighting. Uh, You lose, you get knocked out bad or something like that. You sit with it, unfortunately, for such a long time. People will hold on to it. They'll start doubting you. And then uh, if you're injured or you can't fight often, because sometimes like when you lose by knockout or something like that, you can't turn around as fast as you want to, like injuries and all that. People will hold on to it and you have to sit with that. And you don't get to make money in the meantime unless you're like a superstar and have sponsors. So it's a lot more difficult for them uh exposure wise and then media sometimes won't want to talk to fighters that are coming off like bad losses again unless they're a big name so people start forgetting about these guys so it's a lot more difficult for them to stay relevant uh than it is for like a basketball player soccer player football player or any other sport see i didn't know that part that the losers don't really get a lot of coverage no more unless they're big time big time names you would think every fight uh, i mean especially if you understand how hard it is to get in that octagon and fight somebody so win or lose um, you still deserve that. You still deserve that airtime, right? Yeah, of course. And I try not to be that person. That's one of the things that I always try. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person that will only talk to somebody if they're doing so well in their career and then, and stuff like that. But then as soon as they lose, I completely forget about them. I try to talk to them uh, throughout the year. And I don't want to be that journalist that only wants to talk to them or get information out of them when things are going well for them. And and they have a big name or they're doing things. I try to kind of talk to them or, or, or like try to set up an interview with them, even if they're coming off of a loss or two, and maybe they can talk about it uh, if they're going through some stuff. Because a lot of times these fighters will be going through stuff, whether it's injuries that we don't know about or mental health problems, which has become a popular thing that a lot of fighters are opening up about uh, lately, uh, just because I don't know who started it, but someone would start talking about it and then it, it would allow a lot of people to become comfortable to talk about it. Uh, so that's become a big topic. So it's good to talk to them as well because they just go through a lot um, after a loss. So I, I try not to be that journalist that's only talking to a fighter that's on a big win streak or a hot prospect or anything like that. Uh, but it's just it's just hard. Like It's just uh, unfortunate that a lot of times um, media will cover the, the massive superstars. And uh, even if the, if the prospects are not uh, losing, they could have won like four in a row. But if they don't have a big personality then most likely they're not going to get the same media attention as somebody that uh, talks trash or whatnot. Right. Do you find the, uh, do you find the reception different from, uh, obviously if you win, you, you all, you, I mean, you had a talk, but do you find the reception different when you are trying to get an interview with the guys that just lost as well? I mean, are they, are they eager to want to talk just to talk about it or keep their face out there? Or do you find them more, much more reserved and saying, nah, maybe not now. Uh, you know what? I think it depends on A, how well I know them, B, how they've lost. So obviously if 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 they've like brutally gotten knocked out, I try not to 
like maybe I'll, I'll, I'll send a message kind of like a, a support type of message, which most likely right. won't, doesn't get answered, but that's just me trying to be like the human part of me showing that it's right. not only about trying to get information out of them or using them for interviews and stuff. But yeah, I guess it depends right. if they go like radio silent on, on social media, then I kind of get the hint that they want some time off. So I try not to be overzealous. Uh, but if they, if they are like active on social media and they post their like statement about their loss and, and this and that, then yeah, I get the feel that maybe it's okay to reach out. And sometimes to they agree, sometimes they don't. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and speaking of mental health, you mentioned how, you know, all the players probably have something to do, um, uh, have something to share with mental health. And I feel like it's a thing that we don't address enough, and not just for athletes, but I feel like just as human in general, there has to be a conversation about mental health, about just get to, getting that mental um, support and checkup and rest or relaxation, whatever it is. Um, do you find the, the fighters that you know actually being more supportive to, to the idea of actually having that conversation? Yeah, I feel like a lot more fighters are starting to open up about it. Maybe I, I get the feel I'm trying to like rewind back in my head of when fighters have gotten comfortable. But Tyson Fury, I think, was a big influence on a lot of athletes or a lot of people in general. When he right. came out and talked about it, it was really big. And it was really big for combat sports athletes especially. So uh, when he was so open about everything, I think it surprised people. And uh, he was such a success story. So a lot we're seeing a lot more like UFC fighters and MMA fighters come out and talk about it and people people can relate like you said you don't have to be a pro athlete so you can you can relate you listen to these stories and you realize that uh you might be going through similar things and uh yeah just right. i feel like a lot of people a lot of people are more encouraged because it's not uh maybe they had the fear that would be frowned upon or or, or people would criticize it or think they were over exaggerating or being dramatic uh but uh, now it appears that a lot more people are comfortable to, to open up no, that's key. That's important. I think we have to keep talking about it. Um, you know, and somebody needs to talk to Kanye as well. Uh, you know, just, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, he might be, he might be the leader in, I need mentor, mentor checkup. Kanye West probably the leader in that. Um, by the way, your son has kind <laughs> of gone back in and out again, but I think we will, we'll get through it. Um, All so, right. yeah, 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 but how big is uh how big is the MMA in in, uh, in Egypt right now? Uh not really to be honest. Um I think it's mainly because uh, like they they need that that star that big uh big name to make an impact even if it's in on the regional scene like even in the MMA scene there hasn't been that uh sorry even in the like in the Middle Eastern scene there hasn't been that right. Egyptian fighter that's that's made some noise. Uh, so I think that's been the biggest issue because that's usually how it is. Like you've got uh, someone to get behind, even if you don't understand the sport, because that's another thing. They don't really understand the sport of MMA too much. Like wrestling right, individually right. as a sport and boxing individually as a sport, uh, I think is appreciated a little bit more, even jujitsu as a, uh, on its own, but MMA, not really. So I feel like uh, until an Egyptian fighter makes some sort of splash, even if it's not on a global scale, um and they can get behind them and, and get to understand more about the sport I, I like the gyms here are not developed enough like they, they still have long ways to go there are other arab countries that have uh done a lot better in terms of their gyms hosting events and whatnot but uh egypt out of, especially out of all the arab countries i wouldn't even rank it in the top 10 in terms of the, the mma scene and or even the fighters right right you mentioned other arab countries that are doing better developing gyms like like where 
Uh, Jordan, for example, for sure. And they've got a lot of solid gyms. Yeah, they've hosted events, like even as part of uh, Cage Warriors, which is a UK-based promotion, they've uh, held shows in Jordan before. So uh, they they know what it's like to hold uh, big... Even Conor McGregor fought in Jordan before, like years ago, maybe his third pro fight, I I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of fighters, a lot of... um, uh, Jack Hermanson, who just fought uh, uh, last week, he fought in Jordan before. Uh-huh. A lot of these guys have fought under the Cage Warriors banner right. uh, in Jordan. And yeah, and um, like Hamza Chimaev, who everyone is very high on, who's fighting tomorrow for the I'm second not. time in like 10 days. Yep, he fought in Jordan like last year. I covered his fight in, in Jordan. So a lot of guys have fought there before and they've proven that they can uh, host events in a grand scale. And obviously the jiu-jitsu scene is massive in the in the UAE and, and in Abu Dhabi and Dubai as well. Uh, there are a lot of good gyms there. I mean, Darren Till's management is based in Dubai and uh, team. there's a team Noguera in Dubai. Obviously, Noguera, Noguera Brothers gyms or it might be the uh minotaro's gym only but like uh the, there's a gym there in munir lezez who's uh, who was the first uh arab born and bred fighter to make it to the ufc he trains at a team roger in dubai so uh those countries wow. have definitely uh yeah those countries have definitely uh taken massive steps forward in terms of their interest in the sport uh saudi as well they've got some really nice looking gyms as well uh, my, my brother used to work there and he told me so those countries have uh, Bahrain have got a, a, an organization called Brave Combat Federation based there and uh, Hamzat used to fight there uh, Munir fought there before I'm trying to think well so a few uh, UFC fighters even Johnny Walker fought a uh, part of Brave Combat Federation at one point so uh, nice. they they are taking the necessary steps to to develop I feel like Egypt they just have long ways to go they just need somebody to come in with kind of like the right business mind the right um amount of knowledge of the sport and then just try to whether build a gym or just kind of invest in something proper but there's yet to be somebody yeah um hey, there's a in comes by the way i'm a big fan of his uh it looks you know it looks crazy man the man, that man looks like he's going straight <laughs> to the top um <laughs> and i didn't heard about him until you know jimmy would mention him and i was talking to jimmy and he was like yeah, 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 Kamza, yeah, 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 man, yeah, man, Kamza, man. I'm like, who, who? You know, and then I watched the fight. I was like, oh, wow, that man is crazy. Um, and then he's fighting again eight days later. Uh, he fought eight days ago. Now he's about to fight again. And, you know, I mean, that's a good payday, right? Yeah, and he's going to make history. Like, this is the fastest turnaround. And if he wins, um, and it's a it's a weight class below as well, because he's, he's a welterweight. So when he made his... Uh, uh, USC debut because he got the call late so he fought at middleweight but he's actually a welterweight so he's turning around 10 days later to fight as a welterweight which is his weight class he did look a bit sunken in in the weigh-ins but it's pretty crazy because usually you balloon up after you make weight the first time so he may have hit right. 185 pounds on the scale but I'm pro- he probably ballooned up to maybe at least 195 200 pounds and then he has to cut from right. 200 to 170 like I'd love for someone to ask him about that or if I could myself about how much weight he actually had to cut to make 170 but um pretty crazy i mean i i've been very high on him like on social media i've been referring back to my old tweets like i feel like i'm i'm super smart because i called it from the start so i covered his <laughs> fights like like he was uh i covered three of right. his fights actually i think uh live uh, around the middle east so uh, and man he finished everybody so freaking quickly like i barely set up my desk for two minutes and he's already like so i i knew straight no, away like that, that that guy was special and he trains with Alexander Gustafsson, so a really good gym right. uh, in Sweden, right. and uh, I, I kind of knew that he was going to make a splash. Yeah, 
And you definitely sound like you you just love covering these fighters, man. That's great uh, because you have a lot of people that just do the sport. Uh, you do coverage just to do it, but there's really no passion behind it. Um, and I know I was watching your um, uh, your interview with Israel Adeshaya, and I, you know, and I really enjoy watching that. Um, and you have a few articles out there that I also checked out. Uh, one you mentioned the U.S. needs to actually expand uh, its search uh, for fighters. Um, you know. The good, you know, actually, I had this conversation with Jimmy as well. I was like, look, you know, even having a Nigerian background, I was like, I'm pretty sure we can go to Lagos right now and find 50 guys ready to fight for that money. Um, you know, and then you have Usman and Israel, and then you got Nangon uh, from uh, Cameroon and all these guys. Like, you know, is the UFC really trying to make that one of the hot beds for recruiting? And where else do you think they need to actually start looking at to get more fighters from where you can potentially find those gems? Yeah, I mean, um, I think like for sure, uh, guys like Kamaru and Israel Adesanya and Ingano, like those guys are going to inspire the younger generation. Because usually right. those those countries, like even um, even in Northern Africa, like where I'm from, Morocco and stuff, like Morocco, we've got a very solid kickboxing background, a lot of kickboxing, like Badr Hare. And, and so like we've got a lot of really good kickboxers, but not MMA fighters. But people are realizing that MMA is where the money's at. Uh, you can make a lot of money in boxing, but only... Uh, if you're a star, right. uh, I think there's a, right. a big gap between um, the the superstars and and then uh, the undercard fighters and stuff like that. But like in MMA, there's a lot of money to be made, so I feel like a lot of people are starting to make that transition. Uh, they come from certain backgrounds, whether it's wrestling or jiu-jitsu or kickboxing or whatever, and then they're transitioning to MMA. But yeah, I think like for sure uh, the rise of Adesanya and Usman and Ngannou and a few other guys like Sadiq Youssef and stuff like those guys are for sure going to inspire uh, a whole generation. But I did, like uh, Ngano opened the gym, I think, in, in, in Cameroon. So it's going to take steps like that. And um, actually, uh, Fernand Lopez, who was Ngano's coach in, in France, because Ngano started out in, in Paris, training in Paris before he moved to Las Vegas. Uh, it's still his coach, I think. I, th I think he still goes back to France and trains with him. Uh, he started a, a new organization called uh, Eris, and Eris is an Afro-French-based uh, promotion. And uh, he's, he's held, uh, before COVID hit, because he had just started his promotion, uh, he's held a, uh, a show in Senegal. And I think, uh, I don't know where else he had planned. So he's really trying to develop the, the talent there. So he's doing a good job uh, of doing right. that. He just started and then, unfortunately, COVID hit. And I think he's going to uh, restart by the end of the year or maybe next year. So that's going to be a, an instrumental step uh, because then they can get these super young, raw guys uh, that have raw right, talent, right. give right. them a platform, uh, give them that experience, and then give them like a launch pad to the bigger organizations like the UFC. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the way to go, right? Find those young talent, breed them, train them. I mean, it's like in soccer, right? You, you get these young players, and you put them in your academy, and you train them up, uh, and then you, you can sell them back later for a lot of money. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with having kind of like a fighting academy like that where all you do is just develop guys. Um, so let's jump back to uh, Laziz and Mike Perry, that beef. Uh, I just, you know, I just heard about that when I was reading your article. What's going on there? Is it just a matter uh, of just wanting to fight somebody? Uh, honestly, because uh, uh, Monir is t uh, teammates with Darren Till. Teammates in the sense they're under the same management, and whenever Darren's in Dubai, he'll train with him at Team Noguera. So they're good friends. They're uh, okay. they're they're close in that regard. So he's kind of taking. I think he knows what he's doing. Like Mike Perry is a big name. His his record in the UFC isn't the greatest, considering how popular he is. So that for right. him, he sees it as a stylistic matchup where he can excel. 
And it's, he's flat out said it. He's like, I want to take all his hype. He flat out said right. it's all like he was sugarcoating it. So he knows why he wants to fight him. Uh, and it right. made sense because his, his debut was against a really tough guy in Abdul Al Hassan, who's, uh, who's been so dominant and really putting guys out violently. So that was a big win for him. And they did him no mm-hmm. favors when they gave him, when they gave him, uh, Al Hassan for, for his debut. Like, I'm being honest, like when I was talking to local media, I'm like, man, like, I don't know what we did to them to, to give Munir such a debut because like the whole point when, when Munir got signed, we were excited. We said, oh, finally someone who was born and bred in the region. Like we want to show right. them that we have talent here, but then you give him Abdul right. Al Hassan who when he wins, he knocks you out in like a minute. Oh, so I'm like, I really, oh. yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I really hope, like I'm never going to like flat out say I want this guy to win, but I'm like, I really hope that he gets to show what he's about. Win, lose, or draw. Right. I just win, wanted Munir to... Yeah, I wanted him to show what he's about because if he went out there and got knocked out in 30 seconds, everyone's going to be like, yeah, well, you guys don't have any talent. Like, sit down. Right. You guys are always talking about wanting to to sign fighters from your region, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, why did they give him right. this matchup? Uh, it was such a tough matchup right off the bat, but uh, he looked really good. And, and now he's trying to, like, take that momentum and run with it. Right, right. Um, so there's some good fight coming out this weekend. Uh, and from what I understand, this is the last week of uh, the fight island. And hopefully Dana can bring another one up. Uh, but I think it's been fantastic having these uh, uh, twice a week fights that we've been seeing on TV, Wednesdays and then Saturday nights. It's been great. Uh, I think if anybody has benefited from COVID, it's definitely UFC. <laughs> uh, being the only sport to watch on TV. Uh, so we got the big fight with the Darren Till and uh, I think Whitaker's fighting. Uh, besides, besides the big name, what are the fights are you looking forward to? What are the fights that we're not really paying attention to that we probably should look at those fights? Um, well, I mean, I'm interested to see how Gustafsson does at heavyweight. Um, uh, he's, uh, he moved up. I felt like kind of like a new life because he's challenged for right. the light heavyweight title three times already. And John Jones is still the champion. So it's not going to be easy for him to get a third crack at John Jones, especially that John Jones won the rematch pretty definitively. Uh, first fight was so close. Some people thought Gustafsson won rematch. Jones, uh, kind of put a statement, uh, uh in that rematch. So highly doubt he gets a third fight. So he's kind of looking at new life. And I feel like Verdum is a good opportunity for him. Verdum's a big name. He's a former champion. So it's a big opportunity for Gustafsson to hit the rankings right away because he's not in a position in his career to climb the rankings or anything like that. He's been in the sport for a while. He has a big name. So so for him, it's like beating Verdum. He already can be in the top 10. Probably one more fight and he could be a title shot. I mean, heavyweight doesn't have isn't that deep of a division. So it's pretty easy for guys to climb. Like Jarzinho Rosenstruck, when he fought Ngannou, he fought like two two guys or something. And then he fought Ngannou. Had he beat Ngannou, he would have gotten the title shot. And that would have been one of the fastest rises probably in the history of the sport. So uh, there wow. is that potential at heavyweight to climb. So curious to see how, how uh, uh, Gustafsson does at heavyweight. Uh, I think, I'm trying to think of like, an un, like a fight that's flying under the radar or... or that people are probably not talking about. I'd say maybe, uh, well, obviously I'm excited to see what Hamza does if he's able to to recreate his dominance. And then uh, Alex Oliveira and Peter Sabata is probably going to be a wild uh, fight. I mean, Alex Oliveira is uh, always fun to watch, always brings it. Like he'll he'll fight so uh, so aggressively and so hard that that I wouldn't even say his cardio is bad. I think it's just because he puts it all on the line every single time he fights. He's been part of some big, big wars. So uh, Peter Sabato is a good striker as well. So I expect that to be a really, really fun fight. Uh, Paul Craig uh, got pretty, and um, 
Antigulov, like they got pretty testy at uh, at the weigh-ins, like in their face-off. I don't know if that means the fight itself will deliver because sometimes they get all testy <laughs> and then and then right. the fight doesn't live up Drama. to it. Right. Drama, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's just to, to to get people to tune in. But I'd say my like sleeper fight uh, of the night will probably be Alex Oliveira and uh, Peter Sabata. Okay, I'm definitely gonna mark that down. I'll put my money on that fight. Uh, <laughs> and if I lose, I'm I'm tweeting you. I say, hey, I want my money back, <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll give it to you. Man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are we gonna see uh, John Jones or or Conor fight again this year? Uh, I don't know. I don't think Connor they will use him without a crowd because they make so much money out of him, like ticket sales and stuff. Like not only right. the pay per view, but like the ticket sales. Like Connor is such a money generating machine. That especially right. that he's he's sitting out right now and he's being very picky. So the UFC don't even care to entertain his supposed retirement because anyway they know they're gonna lose a ton of money. Because <laughs> like it's like right. what if Connor fights, uh, like whether Justin Gaethje or whatever, and loses. Um, yeah. Especially because people weren't really crediting his win over Cowboy, and then he, before that he's coming off with a loss to Habib. So if he loses to Justin Gaethje or whoever he were to fight. And it's without a crowd, like if they're not even going to capitalize and Connor decides to go away or people don't start looking at him as that star again, like if he loses a bit of right. a star power, uh, power, like the UFC are losing. So right now they're like, all right, Connor, you're being a little difficult. Um, you want Justin Gaethje, but Justin Gaethje is fighting Habib and you aren't really interested in any other fight. Just sit out anyway, because we want to make money out of you. So better wait until right. 2021, at least anyway, uh, where they could actually have the live gate and make all those uh Big numbers. Right. What about Jones? John Jones? Uh, he's, <laughs> I, I feel like he'll solve his issues with the UFC. Uh, I just think, they again... Do, right? uh, what's that? I said they always do, right? They always do, yeah, yeah. Because at the end, they, they want to fight. I think that's what it comes down to ultimately. Kind of like Jorge Masvidal. Like, they can sit out as long as they want, but they always... That, that competitor in them, they get that itch to compete. And sometimes it just takes them watching the division move on or, or watching certain guys fight or a new star on the rise that everyone thinks like, oh, this guy will beat Jones and Jones will probably be at home watching. Like, no, this guy can't beat me. I'll fight him. I'll show you right. like that kind of thing. So I'm sure like right. sitting back, they'll only sit back for so long because Jones still has a lot left in him. It's not like he's uh, in his latter years or anything like that. So I think uh, uh, at some point it's because there isn't that massive name in the division where he could right. make money off of in terms of pay-per-view. So that's why he's sitting back like whatever. He doesn't really care because like Dominic Reyes wants a rematch. Tiago Santos wants a rematch. Jan Blahovich should be the con number one contender, but he's not a massive name or a massive superstar right. where he could make big pay-per-view numbers with. So he's probably thinking like, I'll fight him. But right now I want a pay raise. I wanted to move up and fight Francis Ngannou and they didn't want to pay me. So um, unless I feel like the UFC won't listen to him in terms of that, unless... They get really desperate and they're scrambling for a main event. Kind of like what happened with Jorge Masvidal where they lost Gilbert Burns. Uh -huh. And then they're right. like, you know what? We need a replacement. So like, fine, Jorge, we'll, we'll meet what you want because we need you now. Right. So that Maybe kind of now. thing. Right. Yeah. Now that, that fight would be great, though, if you can get, uh, get Jones to move up and fight uh, Ngano. That would be a great fight. That would be massive because uh, like, there are always, like when you talk about the greatest of all time or whatever, there are always these questions of, okay, you've done so much, you've defended your title so many times, this, this, and that. The whole moving up away class is, like, because you've done everything, that remains to be the question mark. And, um, like, 
that's why George St. Pierre came back four years later. Like he felt like he did everything he needed to do, but then he right. capitalized on opportunity when he saw Michael Bisping win. He felt like that was a stylistic matchup he could win. So he's like, Bisping's the champion. I think I can beat him. I'll come back. Yeah. And now he's no, added a second belt. Yeah, and he's added a second belt to his name. If if there was any doubt that people had that he was the greatest, he did that too, kind of to strengthen his his argument as the greatest of all time. So I feel like with Jones, because Ngannou is the scariest knockout artist in the division. Uh, but I think it will be cooler if he waits until Ngannou fights the winner and if Stipe beats Ngannou or if DC... I think DC retires, that's my opinion. Uh, that's what right. he said. He so if DC yeah, wins right. and he retires... Yeah. If DC wins and he retires and the belt becomes vacant, I think they do Stipe uh, uh, Ngannou too for the vacant belt. And if John Jones fights the winner because Stipe is a big name, Ngannou's a big name, I think he should do that and, and try to win a, a belt out of it. I was surprised that he wants to fight Ngannou without a belt. Like, why would you want to do that? Take a risky matchup and not even have the reward of adding a belt because a lot of people right. look at Ngannou like the... Un- yeah, a lot of people look at Ngannou like an uncrowned champion. So why not wait until Ngannou gets his title shot and then win or lose whoever's the champion. Stipe is a big name. Obviously, if he does the trilogy with DC, that would be massive. And Stipe is a big name. So those are three big names that you could make a lot of money from uh, fighting against, and you can win a belt as well. So uh, I think he should just wait for that scenario to play out. Yeah, and there's a good chance they just talk and just to stay in the limelight, right? Just to just to put the names out there to say, hey, I'm still here. Uh, but like you said, those guys are very calculated, so they, you know they're going to wait for the right matchup and for the right money. Yeah, uh, exactly. A lot of them do that to just stay in the headlines. That's 100%. Uh, because if you're not fighting, people are not going to talk about you. So how, how do you get people right. to talk about you? And and I admit, like, I, I'm all for it. Obviously, as a journalist, when, when, when you think you're going to interview someone, you're going to enjoy the interviews where people actually have an opinion as opposed to the people right. that go, oh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, trash. Uh, yeah that's trash. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I had a guy up here, and the whole conversation was like, "Dude, yeah, no, no. I, I still haven't, I still haven't posted that interview up here." I'm like, "No, nah. yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was putting me to sleep completely." Uh, yeah, I was like, "Have some manager, dude. What are you doing?" You know, I so, got you. I got. <laughs> but uh, so you mentioned being a big, passionate basketball uh fan and player, uh, and the NBA is back. Do you have a winner? What do you think is winning at all? Uh, I'm going to say, I'll say the Lakers. I mean, I, I like LeBron a lot. Like growing up, I was a Phoenix Suns fan for the longest time. And you can call me uh, disloyal or whatever you want. Like I'm not from Phoenix, Arizona. So when the team got, dis- <laughs> <laughs> when the team got dissembled, it was like unrecognizable for me. And I tried right. to stay supporting the organization. But I just couldn't, it was unrecognizable to me, to be honest. Yeah. Cause I, like at least with, um, with soccer or whatever, like you'd have certain pieces. Like I'm a Real Madrid fan, so a lot of the pieces were the right. same. If it wasn't the players, it was the management or whatever. Right. Like the Phoenix organization just completely changed from the coaches to the players. It was almost like another team. So uh, after that, I never had like a set. Like I've always loved LeBron James because I was hearing about him from high school. So I was watching his high school games. I was when he did, uh, when he like uh, obviously when he was playing for the Cavs, I saw a Suns fan. I wasn't a Cavs fan, but I was just intrigued by LeBron. So uh, uh, I would want to like 
people doubt him all the time, so I wouldn't mind him winning a title. Even though I feel like if he does, because this season has been altered and changed, that they're they're gonna say like it's not a real championship. I'm sure there'll be someone saying something, but uh, I think I think the Lakers have a good shot. Yeah, I feel like initially the the you know the the chirping and noise around whoever wins this year was that uh, you know there's an you know there's an asterisk there, but I don't think so. I think after seeing seeing them back on TV now, no one's really talking about it no more. That oh, if you win it, you're the winner, such and such. It's probably difficult now, much more harder now because you're playing on neutral ground, no fans or nothing. So it's really it's really open now. It's anybody's game, uh, but I'm definitely going with the Bucks. Uh, Giannis is the man. And then I got the Clippers and the Bucks in the final, so uh, that's those are my choice. And I think the uh, I'm not sure who wins it between the Clippers and the Bucks, but that's my pick. But I, I'm kind of leaning towards the Bucks and the Clippers to win it. I don't know. <laughs> I like both of those teams. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, no, no, I would. I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, uh, I actually wear Giannis's basketball shoes, so I should be somehow like rooting for him. Those uh, are the dude, shoes I wear right now. So yeah, I know. Look, I'll be fair. The LeBrons are a little too bulky for me. I'm not gonna lie. So that's the only reason I don't wear them. But uh, right. uh, but yeah, like that. That would be nice. I'd, I'd be down for the Bucks too. I'm not gonna lie. Right, right. And you said Hala Madrid earlier. You. You're a Madrid fan, huh? Yeah, for for a very long time. Yeah. Oh, wow. How do you feel when CR seven left? Oh man, uh, like I, it was so. The thing is, it's like I get why he did it, but right. man, like the run they had, like with the Champions League and stuff, I get it because you don't want to stick around and start losing those Champions League. Right. Uh, like titles because like it was such a historic run and an unpredictable run like there was a lot of asterisks right. i guess you can say because like barca fans get all angry uh but uh just that 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 run like even just if you go back from like ramos's header to tie uh against atletico and even facing atletico again uh where where ramos like uh or actually real had, had hit first and then they equalized it was so much drama but it was so much fun because my team wins like i hate it when the drama's involved like i watched the phoenix suns lose to san antonio to dallas and have my heart broken like time and time again other than other than the three (laughs) other than them like coming back from 3-1 like other than them coming back from down 3-1 against the lakers i've watched Uh them like lose and not not win the championship so i'm like like and watch like people make buzzer beaters against sons and stuff like that so like to watch like to be on the side where my team is actually like uh, narrowly right. edging these other guys, and yeah, exactly. So uh, that was that was nice. So it's cool. I mean, Real won the league this year. Funny enough, like without Ronaldo. So, uh, uh, yeah. but I just feel like Messi is deflated. He doesn't have that rivalry that kept his blood flowing. I feel like he's a little deflated. Oh, I, I agree. I think he's deflated, but I think his team also doesn't have an edge no more. I think. You know, Suarez got the edge, but it was injured in and out. But I think they needed someone that just have an edge to him that just gets mad and gets angry. They had it with Neymar. He's gone. They just don't have an edge. Like, they need, you know, like, Real Madrid's guys are down the sideline, right? It just doesn't get cooler than that. But then you got Ramos is always crazy, right? And then yeah. you got Cas- Casemiro in the middle that's always following people. I mean, you just got, they got just personalities all over the pitch, so it helps to get out there and just fight. And I just feel like Barca doesn't really have that. Um, and, you know, and Messi's age, man, he just needs someone to just come in and just, like, 
help. I'm with you 100%. I 100% agree. I just feel like, uh, and I agree with you with Neymar because I feel like that's a guy that used to get a lot of hate while he was in Barcelona. And I remember there was right. a time, I can't remember which season it was, when Messi got injured and, and Neymar really carried the team on his back. I'm trying to remember, this was maybe like four or five years ago or something. He really put the right. team oh, on his yeah. back. And yeah, and a lot of people expected, Bar- and Barca's record was at one point like 9-1 and one or 10-1 and one or something like that. And Neymar was really putting the team on his back because like you said, he's a passionate guy. And obviously that legendary comeback against uh, PSG so, um, like, that's a guy that, that plays with passion, uh, even right. if they call him, like, dramatic when he gets fouled and stuff like that. But I'll take that yeah. 10 out of 10 times. Like, even Ramos's uh, stupidity, if you want to call it, and his, red, his constant right. red card and stuff like that. But I'll take that passion over someone I right. feel like doesn't want to win. And you're talking about legendary comeback. And the only thing I can think of is uh, when my team goes down to PSG, uh, you know, Man United, and won that. Champions League. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, that is, that, now, that's a comeback. I'm, I'm not sure what Madrid comeback you're talking about. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care for Madrid. <laughs> but that Manchester United comeback now, I think I almost cried when it happened. I was just screaming at the top of my lungs. Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been a couple. There's well, I'm trying to remember. Was it Chelsea as well? Had a, had a crazy comeback? Was it Chelsea? Yeah. Um, no, yeah, yeah. Against like- Barcelona. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. I was talking about way back. Um, I can't, I can't remember who it was against, but you know, but yeah, there's been, there's been like Real Madrid. I remember when uh, Ronaldo helped uh, Real Madrid mount a comeback. I think it was against yeah. Wolfsburg in, 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 mm-hmm. in the semifinals as well. Uh, they needed right. to win three, three zero, and he had a hat trick which uh, allowed them to advance. So yeah, there's uh, those, those are the kind of moments I'm, I'm with you. Like those are the kind of moments that just like uh, funny enough. I'll tell you a story. I remember I was on a flight to Dubai. And I was sitting next to this guy who was looking at, like I was watching a Real Madrid uh, championship documentary kind of thing, like where it just showed all their championship run. And I got emotional while watching it. Uh, I didn't notice I was getting emotional. So I guess I got a little teary eyed or something. And the guy next to me was looking at me like I was like, I'm a freak. And I could like I could tell from the side of my eye that he was looking at me and I'm like, Oh, all right man. i'm gonna ignore him because i'm like why is he looking at me like that does he want something and then he continued right. to look at me so then eventually i took my earphones out because i'm like this is a bit weird and he's like look at me he's like i've never seen like a girl so passionate about football and i just started laughing because oh, i didn't I, I didn't realize i didn't realize i was like getting super emotional watching it so i just started like you know when they put the music and they get everybody yep, like happy. Music, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so he was yep. just like laughing at me oh man that's awesome man Great story right there. I mean, you know, I tell people all the time, soccer fans are the best. You know, we we just were passionate. I mean, when my team loses, I watch basketball all day long. I watch NFL. I watch every sport. But I look forward to Saturday morning to watching my team play. And when they lose, literally, I have a shitty day, a shitty weekend every time we lose. And nothing else does that to me. But when I get up at 6, 7 in the morning to watch, man, you play, and we play like shit or we just lose it, I am just in the pissy mood the rest of the weekend. So, and it's like that all over, all over the world for soccer fans. It's just like, we look forward to it. And if it doesn't go right, we're just mad. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like, my, my mother hated being around me when I'd watch Real Madrid games because then if they'd lose, the, she'd, like, if she'd come talk to me while it was happening or, like, they were down 0-1 or something, she'd get really angry at me. So she'd just completely leave me alone because she'd hate my exactly. attitude. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, Farah, thank you so much for uh, coming on and chatting me. I really had fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, truly appreciate you taking the time out. I appreciate it. I had a great time as well. Thank you so much for having me. We'll do it again. Thank you.
For sure, definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Point Noted Podcast with Johnny B and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT Noted and Instagram at Point Noted. Hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.